0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to No Middle Madness, a podcast about Texas Tech basketball. Last time we were with you, we were talking about the potential additions of Bryson Williams and Kevin Samuel and everything else that we had missed in the past month, but we focused on those two and we said. We hope to be back with you um, with some good news, and we have it. Bryson Williams is transferring to Texas Tech. Had a great official visit and ended up on the team just a few days later. That's always a really good sign. But we talked extensively about him on the last episode, but we're going to give you everything you need to know here on episode 23. The Jarrett Culver episode. Should have had him on as a guest. Maybe next time, Jarrett, you can come on. But, yeah, I'm Ryan Mainville, joined by... Emory Lida, as always. Emory, how are you today?
1: I'm doing very well, helped tremendously by the fact that Bryson Williams committed to Texas Tech. That's something we've kind of been discussing really even before the last episode. Williams was a guy that had been on Tech's radar really since he announced that he was in the portal. Guy that Tech really wanted to go out and get, and clearly somebody that is going to make an impact. And I'm excited to talk about him tonight. Also, been excited to see kev's corner debut tonight i think that was something replacing a certain uh, tech talk show that should not be named with a certain coach and i think it's 100 times better and more modern so if anyone hasn't checked it go check that out on texas tech's uh, basketball twitter page it will make you enjoy tech basketball and be even more excited for some of the newcomers there
0: Shout out to Kev's Corner. He should upload the RSS feeds to Spotify and Apple Podcasts to get the people to stream some more longer-form content. I would enjoy that tremendously. But we'll talk about Kevin McCullough in a little bit, I'm sure, um, when we talk about our starting fives. But first, let's talk about Bryson Williams. We've done it a lot over the past two months after he initially announced his decision to transfer from UTEP, and, and now he's a Red Raider I've said it a million times before, but this guy is a needle mover. Essentially what I mean is I think he just makes the program a better level than it was without him. Um, They get a lot more competitive. They have a lot more chances to win games now. And he also fills a pretty big hole on this roster. So Williams last year at UTEP averaged 15.1 points per game, 7.4 rebounds a little under a block and a little under half a steal. He played with the Miners for two years. He also had a redshirt year there. And then he, prior to that, he was at Fresno State for two years. Now, this is pretty big. I want to key in on this because it it seemed like a lot of people didn't know this. And and I thought it was really cool whenever I kind of got into the research of it and and found out. But those first two years where he was at Fresno State, he played for a guy named Rodney Terry. That name might sound familiar because Rodney Terry ended up at UTEP. And when Rodney Terry went to UTEP, so did Bryson Williams. Well, guess where Rodney Terry went this offseason? To the University of Texas at Austin. And let me tell you, when Texas was recruiting Bryson Williams, it there would be plenty of reasons to think that Williams would be in burnt orange next season. But guess what? He's a Red Raider. That's a huge recruiting win for Mark Adams. I don't want to undershadow the work that Mark Adams and his staff had to do to get this commitment. That is a huge pickup. It should absolutely be celebrated. But now, for Bryson Williams' game and his impact, I have so much to say about him. But I'm going to try and key in on three things here. The first is that he is a terrific rebounder. He has always been a good rebounder, but especially last year had a 13.5% rebounding rate. Just to give that some context in case you're unfamiliar with with rates and how um, that advanced analytic works, it's essentially a percentage of, of available rebounds that he grabbed when he was on the floor. And last season, Marcus Santos Silva had a rebounding rate of 16%. So that's a pretty good number to be around, considering Santos Silva was a top five rebounder in the Big 12. So Bryson Williams, he's a terrific rebounder. He's an excellent scorer in the low post. He has so many moves, a really, really good spin move. He's good at positioning. He's good at sealing off his guy. So he's a terrific rebounder. He's a good scorer in the low post. And then he's reliable from the high post or even the top of the key. Now, I'll be honest in my analysis about Bryson Williams here. I I am excited about him, but I do think there are things from his game that could see some improvement, and one of those is the assist to turnover rate. It's been really, really bad pretty much the majority of his career. He's almost always averaged twice as many turnovers as assists, but I think that's going to be due to having just a higher usage rate than he's going to have at Texas Tech, and I still think he's going to get played through quite a bit in Lubbock. Um, But you're going to be around a lot of guys that can handle the ball, even if it's as a secondary or even third option. Um, So I really like what he can do in the high post in terms of creating his own shot and getting the rim. We'll talk about that in a second. But Bryson Williams, terrific rebounder, excellent score in the low post, and he's reliable from the high post. In terms of his impact, I think he's a day one starter and really... The ceiling for Bryson Williams, and maybe it's a pretty realistic ceiling even, is that I think there's a chance he's been the best player on the team at the end of the season. Not saying that that's definitively how it will be, um, but there's definitely a chance. Emery, just what what are you trying to break down about Bryson Williams for everyone that's that's listening right now?
1: Well, I think you nailed a couple of the key points. He's a really good rebounder. Immediately, will come in and pretty much be... At or above any other person on the team in that sense, outside of maybe Marcus Santos Silva. I think that's one thing that a lot of fans really seem to stress about. I mean, I've personally said on this podcast, I don't really worry too much about individuals rebounding, because I feel like it's largely down to team scheme and effort and stuff like that. But I feel like Williams' rebounding is key. He's a really good post-initiator, but it's not necessarily the only thing he can do. I mean, I look at it like he's been asked to play a variety of different roles during his college career. At UTEP, the last last year, he really kind of turned into the absolute focal point of offense. Ran a lot of primary ball handler sets, and even though he wasn't much of a facilitator, he still scored a lot off of drives, a lot off of pull up jumpers that were unassisted. And then you add in that post game that he really kind of. I think, was as key at Fresno State. I honestly haven't watched a lot of tape from him at Fresno State, but that's kind of what I saw. And, I mean, you got, you've got you got a player that offensively can score at every level of and maybe three-point shooting being a little bit on the sketchy side, but his offensive ability is absolutely through the roof. I mean, he's someone that you can run offense through. You can have him basically be operate as an inside player. You can have him running off of, drive and kind of creating opportunities for other people. And then obviously you can also sort of run him in sort of a little bit of a pick and roll style offense as well. There's a host of different options you can run with him. And he's clearly capable of playing kind of those different roles on of offense. I don't I don't want to really compare him to Kevin McCoy because they've played two completely different games. But the versatility of role is something that you're going to see from Williams and something I'm really excited for. And I think defensively, you've got a guy that, again, can play kind of a host of different roles. He can be a rim protector, and he's not necessarily someone that I would trust as some elite rim protector, but it's a role he's had at various points in his college career. And in certain games, more so in the 2019-2020 season, is something that he had to pick up. And then he can also guard wings. He's a pretty instinctive defender. I wouldn't characterize him as anything elite, but I think that his just all-around game – I mean, he comes in as a a fifth-year senior and somebody that's easily going to have the most playing experience on the team, bar maybe Marcus Santos Silva. And I think that beyond that experience, you don't have to look at the minutes played or the games played. You just look at kind of the amount of traits he's developed through his college career. And that's something Tech can use. I mean, he can fill so many different gaps that you have on your team. I mean, I'm excited. I think that there's certainly an avenue where he can be the best player on the team. I think more than that, even even if he isn't by pure impact, his ability to kind of play a variety of roles, open up the lineup versatility is something that's going to give him so much value to the team. I really think it's a game changer when evaluating Tech's season.
0: Yeah, you quickly briefed on something that I'm I'm really excited to talk about. You mentioned that he had kind of filled a lot of different roles, but also developed a number of skills in his game. And this is pretty exciting to me just because it means that he's a guy that that wants to get in the gym and he wants to work hard and he wants to just get better. And I think that being able to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself what you want to get better at and then go out and execute a plan to do so is a really rare trait to have in a basketball player. Like The guys that have it are usually pros, whether that's in the NBA or overseas, just because this game takes so much dedication to be uh as versatile as Bryson Williams is and so um the one thing that really really stood out to me is the development in his self creation so essentially what i'm going to do here is i just want to read a couple of numbers and then I, i'm going to break it down and i'm going to make it hopefully understandable for anybody listening who's not necessarily familiar with with context of numbers so i'm going to read Bryson Williams has played 4 collegiate seasons. And I'm going to read the shots he's made at the rim and then what percent of those were assisted. So his freshman year, he made 74 shots at the rim with 55.4% of those being assisted. His sophomore year, he made 93 shots at the rim with 49.5% of those being assisted. In 2019, his junior year, he made 82 shots at the rim with 52.4% of those being assisted. And last year, his senior year, he made 45 shots at the rim. If you're wondering why it's a shorter amount, obviously the COVID season, um, but only 31.3% of those were assisted. Now, let me tell you why that's really important. Now, part of it, I will explain, this is a smaller sample size. He only took 69 shots at the rim last year due to the lower amount of games. But every season before that, he had taken at least 107. So we're looking at, at about 40 less shots. That's important. I'm not trying to deny that. I'm not trying to hide that from anybody. That's very important to put at the at the forefront of this and then kind of use that to, to tame our thinking with these numbers a little bit. But him going for from 55.4% of his shots at the rim assisted his freshman year to 31.3% assisted in his senior year is an insane development. And it's even crazier for a guy that plays his best basketball in the post. And that is very encouraging because what that means is that when we saw Bryson Williams in this new kind of really interesting role last year where he was positioned in the high post, kind of uh, like you mentioned it, UTEP was running their offense through him. When he can do that and still make a good amount of shots at the rim, but create a lot of them on his own, 70%, that's a lot. 70% of his own shots at the rim for a big man is super encouraging. So when you go, and and I'm looking at these, at these play-by-play stats in uh, T-Rank or Bart Torvik, Shout out to Bart Torvik. does great work on, on his website. We, we mentioned him all the time on the, on this podcast. <laughs> if you go and you look at guys in the big 12 who had similar shot profiles to this at the rim last year, the three guys that Bryson Williams looks the most like is Davion Harmon of Oklahoma, Courtney Ramey of Texas, and Andrew Jones of Texas. Those are three guards, Davion Harmon being a little bit more on the wing perimeter player style But there is nobody, and I mean nobody in the Big 12, that made less than 50% of their shots at the rim uh, unassisted that was not a perimeter player. So Bryson Williams, on paper, is showing up like a guy that creates his shot at the rim about as well as guards in the Big 12. And again, I want to preface this again. I want to de-preface this by saying that it's a smaller sample size. We're looking at almost 40 less shots than we had seen at any point in Bryson Williams' career. But this, if this holds even remotely true, and we see the Bryson Williams creating offense that we saw last year, Texas Tech is going to be in a really good spot.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that his self creation skill, if you look at it on film, is something that came up. Towards the mid to end part of the 2019-2020 season, I remember vividly watching some of those tape just studying for draft-related stuff. And I always felt like that was something UTEP gradually kind of eased him into a role where he did a lot of self-creation. And I feel like in twenty in 2021, that just really took off. I mean, we'll mention some games specifically to look at later, but the Kansas game just stands out so much. And if you watch it, I mean, it, it would. Really reminded me a lot of tech going through Jarrett Culver in the early parts of the 2018 2019 year and just using him for everything offensively related and just initiating offense. And it was really kind of crazy because he's not someone that you necessarily see as having great playmaking skills and his drive. He's improved his driving quite a lot since he started in college, but I certainly think it's not. Sort of the part you to the level you would expect from someone that operates heavily as a primary ball handler, but I mean, his ability to self create is something that really has popped up kind of out of nowhere. And I mean, I look at it, people will bring up the shooting, and I do kind of want to touch on that. But his self creation is absolutely fantastic. Um, but onto the shooting part of things, I I mean, I'm personally really impressed by his mid range shot, I think we've seen on Bartrovic that it's been at over 40% every year of his college career and his free throw percentage is up above 80 now for the last two years. So it's clearly there, but obviously when you have someone that's shot really under 30% for most of their college career, it can get a little bit, you can be hesitant to really trust that, but I'm interested to hear kind of what you think about his jump shot and how you see it playing in the tech's team and really Williams development as a player.
0: Okay. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to walk it through, start to finish again and start by saying, this is a guy who has proven to develop his skills in a way that is really impressive. So let's go and let's walk through Bryson Williams collegiate career as a shooter. His freshman year, he was zero for zero behind the three point line. Didn't take a shot. Didn't even bother his sophomore year he was one for four transfers to UTEP junior year. He was 31 for 87. That's a really, really crazy jump. And remember he had that red shirt year in between there. I'm going to guess there was a ton of work put in there. And then last year, his senior year, he was 19 of 68. So it's a, it's a decrease. It's a pretty big decrease. It's about 7%, I think if that's like 27.9 and then 35.6 is junior year. So so that's a decrease. It's a noticeable decrease. Again, smaller sample size, not saying it's solely responsible for that, um, but it could be. But here's what I want to say about Bryson Williams shooting. If he can replicate his junior year or even something slightly less efficient, talking 32, 33%. It will benefit Texas Tech immensely in a number of ways, not just on the court, like in terms of pure performance, but the flexibility that Texas Tech can have with lineups. That junior season where he went 31 for 87 is strikingly similar to what Terrence Shannon Jr. shot last year. Shannon went 30 of 84, where Williams went 31 of 87. It's literally 0.1% difference in efficiency with about a difference of three, three shots. That's pretty crazy, right? If we're thinking about, all right, Terrence Shannon Jr. Went from being a guy that got booed every time he got the ball on the perimeter, because he wouldn't shoot to a guy that shot pretty decently. I, I would take Terrence Shannon Jr.'s shot making last year, pretty much any day of the week. It wasn't elite, but it was reliable. And if Bryson Williams can get to the point where he's reliable. Maybe he doesn't get back up to that 35.6%. But maybe he gets to a point where he's shooting 31, 32, 33%. Man, Texas Tech is going to be in such a good place offensively. And, I mean, even without that, he's always taken more free throws than threes per game, which is always a good thing considering he's a really good free throw shooter, like a really good free throw shooter. And then I just don't think it's a liability right now. I mean, I think it's, it creates issues in terms of what you can do with lineups just because if you're running a lineup of Kevin McCuller, Bryson Williams, and Marcus Santos Silva, you better hope you've got two good shooters playing behind them because that's not a lot of high volume shooting ability. But I, I just think that if he can get back to that, And that's what I'm holding out hope for because like the shot doesn't look horrible. He has a good mid range shot. He's a great free throw shooter. I'm just holding out hope that he can get back to that 31 or 32%. If there's something, if there was like, if you came to me and you were like, if you could guarantee one player to be really efficient in one skill next year, what would you want it to be? I think it would be Bryson Williams three point shooting or maybe his defense because that could really open it up um at the four and the five talking about playing with marcus santos silva so but we'll touch on that in a moment but man i'm just holding out hope Emery. i need you to tell i need you to tell me what you think about the shooting because i know that i've always been optimistic about williams and i'm not saying that he will get back to that number but that's definitely my hope and if he does get there texas tech is a lot better because of it
1: yeah i mean i'm gonna be honest i have a hard time really taking it ton of stock from any of the numbers throughout his college career because I think when you're shooting on such a small sample size just a few good makes can really skew the results I mean he went 19-68 of in the 2020-21 season which doesn't sound particularly good but then if he makes his next four shots now suddenly you're talking about a dude that's over 30 or is at 32 percent and it's like If a thirty-two percent Bryson Williams is someone that now suddenly you're looking at the three point shot is, hey, that's like pretty good. That's Jarrett Culver and Terrence Shannon levels are good from their respective pre-draft seasons attack. And it's I mean, the reality is with such a small sample size, you just kinda have to look at it from a game by game perspective. And I certainly don't think it's something that's going to be a massive strength for him. Like I don't expect him to come in and knock 40% of his three-point shots down. It would be great if he did, but I feel like a reasonable amount to suggest would be just be able to hit 30 to 33% on decent volume. I will say, I think that being in more of a catch and shoot role is going to help him to some degree. And I think tech will have better facilitators than what he had at Utah. And I'm, I mean, most of his three-point shots in the first place place throughout his college career have been catch-and-shoot looks. But I would also argue that UTEP's lack of spacing and lack of playmaking made those opportunities more sparse. And so, I mean, I really don't have any set prediction. I think a lot of it's going to depend on what sort of lineups are run and what sort of opportunities he gets as a catch-and-shoot guy as a ball handler and then also just how he develops through the offseason because you made a great point. all the skills that he's picked up and I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier but I mean that's the guy that literally didn't attempt a a three until his sophomore year and even then he only attempted four and by if I remember correctly really only a couple of those were actual legitimate shots and so like the last few years suddenly turning up and being an 80% free throw shooter and actually taking threes is a huge development and it gives you hope that maybe another year of off-season work another year with really a full off-season is going to give him the opportunity to really develop that into his game and i think i mean if he can shoot 30% from 3 30 to 33% then you have to treat him as a four spacer to some degree and i know like that doesn't sound particularly appealing but i mean someone shooting at that 30% mark is at least someone that you can't leave wide open. Kevin McCullough or TJ Shannon, those guys in the last year really didn't shoot all that well, but they were still four spacing when they're out there because you can't leave someone like that wide open. And so I think Bryson Williams being able to evolve that shot is going to be pretty critical. I mean, like I said, the small sample size makes it really hard to tell because he's just a few makes away, one hot game away from being right where we want him to be. So I guess that's where I'm at. I think that... It's hard to tell exactly where he's going to be. I'm optimistic that he can get that shot over 30%. And especially if he just takes good looks, I think he can be a valuable asset because I think at the end of the day, his value is going to be from his inside ability, his ability to create for himself and really be a post source that Tech hasn't seen from someone of his size and at his place in the lineup. So... I and mean, we'll see. I'm maybe not as optimistic about it as you are, but I'm probably not as down on his actual shooting the last few years as most other people are.
0: That last point was good. I'm glad you said that. Real quick, for the people at home that maybe want to uh, catch some of his games, let's just talk about a few of his games that we thought have been really impressive as we've been watching film. I can go ahead and start us off. Obviously, the Kansas game, everyone's talking about it. It's impressive for a lot of reasons, one of those being because he scored 23 points and grabbed 13 rebounds. The second reason that's really impressive is because he did it against Kansas, which is Big 12 competition. So if you want to look at his numbers and you want to say, okay, there's going to be a decrease here because he's going to be playing against more talented guys— Okay, but he also did this against Kansas and it went pretty well. So, I mean, he almost knocked off the Jayhawks at the fog, which is a pretty impressive feat. Um, Didn't do it. I think they fell like four or five points short, but oh well. And then last year he had a game at UTSA where he scored 24 points, grabbed 10 rebounds, but he got to the free throw line 15 times and made all but one of them. That is really impressive. Really, really impressive. And then he also had a really good game, not in this year's, but the year before it, in the 2020 conference tournament, the CUSA tournament against Marshall. He had 25 points, nine boards, and then a pair of steals and assists. There's a lot to like about his game. He's put up a lot of impressive stat lines. But Emery, what are a few of the favorite games you've seen from Bryson Williams as you've been cranking out tape?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to start with the one that really kind of got me hooked on Bryson Williams as a prospect last year. And obviously, he didn't end up as a draftable guy. I don't think I ended up with him either. But a game against Middleton and State in 2020, I think you can find it on ESPN Plus archives. If not, I'm pretty sure there's some kind of tape online. But it was a 66 or 67 66 win over the Blue Raiders. And that game, you really see what he can do from a self creation perspective. And I think that's what kind of got me hooked initially on his idea, because before his stat profile at that point was largely kind of an interior guy and it really kind of proved just how much he can create for himself and that he isn't just someone that plays on the paint. So I think that was kind of the first one that comes to mind for me. Obviously the Kansas game is going to get all the hype. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend you check that out because you're going to see in my opinion. Bryson Williams was the best player on the court on that day and really it looked like for a solid 30 minutes, he was going to be able to carry UTEP for the win and just didn't quite materialize down the stretch, but still really impressive. Arizona State from earlier in the year was another one that I've been able to catch. I think his his game in that one was very much offensive centered, maybe not the one that you want to see from a defensive perspective, but he his ability to dominate, I mean, he put up 22 points in that. And I think the biggest thing for me in that one was, that was one where I felt like his jump shot was really kind of able to pop off. He was able to obviously hit two threes. He hit a couple from the mid-range. His creation skills were kind of on display there. And so that's kind of one I'd look for in terms of a game against a team with quite a bit of length last year. I think that's one of the things that stood out to me is Arizona State had the bodies to match him. He was just able to kind of outmaneuver them. Whereas at some points throughout the season you'll see games where maybe he just straight up out guys in the conference USA But it wasn't the case against Arizona State. And then the last one I want to talk about is a game against Arizona this year. And it was a loss. And it was one where he didn't shoot well. But I thought his defense in that game, his ability to play help side, was something that was really impressive over the course of the game. Because he played almost all of it. And really, I mean, for me, at least that was a game where obviously he didn't have any, like, gaudy stock numbers. But for the amount of responsibility he had to take on defensively at times to be able to have kind of the impact he does, that will show you kind of a variety of different roles because Arizona Arizona tried to kind of bring him onto the perimeter at times. um, But obviously his ability to kind of switch and just be versatile, playing help side role, playing as a pure rim protector at, at, at apparent points didn't really happen much in that game. But you'll see a lot of the defensive versatility that we've been talking about and I think that's kind of the main thing is there's games out there really to kind of showcase each part of Williams's game. If you want the scoring, you can look at a game like Rice from this year or Arizona State like I just mentioned. If you want the defense, you can look at the Arizona game and I'm sure there's a couple more out there in the conference USA that you could really find that showcases defensive impact because he is a good defender. it might not show up on the stat sheet, but I would still grade him as a positive guy. And then if you want really just everything, just watch the Kansas game. That would be kind of my suggestion and the best way to be optimistic about what Williams can do.
0: So now that they've landed Williams, obviously going to be a high impact player, a guy who's a veteran. Think about your projected starting five in June. Obviously we are so far out. And it's really hard to get a grasp of what things will look like when they come off of the paper and they come to life on the basketball court. But I think this this is an interesting thought exercise and it's interesting to see kind of where your mind's at. I'll go ahead and give you mine. And I, I'm actually interested to hear what yours are. We, we haven't discussed this yet. I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll have uh, quite different lineups here, but I'll go ahead and say mine. Um, starting point guard, Malik Wilson. I thought it was pronounced Miley Wilson, which is what the ESPN announcers always pronounced it as, but he was pronouncing it as Malik Wilson today in Cat's Corner. So apologies to Malik Wilson. He's my starting point guard for the Red Raiders. On the wing, I have Sardar Calhoun, which I know I've talked about already before um, with him being a starter and how I think that's that's reasonable. Um, I think it makes sense now, especially when you hear my front court because you're going to need shooting. At the three, I have Kevin McCuller. At the four, I have Bryson Williams. And then at the five, I have Marcus Santos Silva. Now, here's what I'm going to say about my starting five before I let you give yours, Emory. I think this is definitely a lineup that will change. Um, and what I mean by that is that I think that this is your, this is these are your guys. These are guys that are experienced. These are guys that can play. And these are guys that have talent. But what's going to happen is you're going to find out pretty quickly that you're not going to be able to play Bryson Williams and Marcus Santos Silva together every night because there's going to be a team like Kansas that runs five wings and it's just a lineup of death and you're just not going to be able to cover them. And so I think it's going to be really situational. And while this is my starting lineup right now, I think a lot could change and in no way, shape or form, am I saying this is definitive or even what I think is most likely. This is just kind of what I'm going with right now. I'm sure I'll change my philosophy at some point um, and try and think of, about Mark Adams and what Mark Adams wants to do. Right now, I'm just kind of picking guys that that I think can fill roles and will be high-level players on this team. So I've got Wilson, Calhoun, McCuller, Williams, and Santos Silva. Emery, who's your first five?
1: All right, so I'm going to throw out two lineups. The first one is going to be my realistic starting five because I think this is probably the lineup that seems the most natural. I'm not sure if it's going to be the best fit per se, and I feel like like you said, I think it's going to change throughout the year, and I think it's going to be dependent on matchup. But I'm like you. I think Malik Wilson's going to start as the one guard. I think it could be Clarence only. I think there's kind of – room for development there as to how we progress in the offseason and kind of how we see a one-to-one comparison because it's hard to tell if only compared to a guy like Wilson when they've played such different roles throughout their college career because, in theory, they are relatively similar in terms of their play style. So I think I'm going to go ahead and say Wilson for now as the one guard. I actually have Davion Warren as the two guard. I think that his self-creation ability, again – is something that you really like to see in a player. I don't necessarily know if we're going to see it as much as he kind of will take on maybe a lesser role at Tech. But he's a guy, the concern there is obviously the force spacing, only 30% last year. But I think his degree of difficulty on shots is something that he's not going to have to worry about at Tech. I mean, I think he could have easily been maybe a 34 35% guy with just catch and shoot shots, because he took a lot off the dribble from what I saw at Hampton. So that would be my two guard. Calhoun's certainly an option there. And then, like you, I had McCollar at the three, Bryson Williams at the four, Marcus Santos Silva at the five. I think all three of those guys, at least to start the year, need to be kind of entrenched in the lineup just because, I mean, they all have the leadership and they have kind of distinguished skill sets that have made them play so well throughout their college career. I mean, McCollar's obviously kind of a jack-of-all-trades hustle guy, But he's also someone that's really emerged as a decent playmaker, someone that can create his own shot and also create for others. We've touched on Wilson enough or Williams enough in this podcast, but obviously someone can create his own shot, incredible post moves, just a really good offensive player. And then Marcus Santos Silva, really good team defender for what Mark Adams wants to do defensively, can grab rebounds, has a decent post game offensively. So I think that's the initial starting five I would go with. But I want to throw out this lineup just for just for fun, because I think you could have this realistically fit together. I have no idea how it would actually play out. But I want to throw out a lineup that includes Davion Warren, Kevin McCuller, Jabuzo Agbo, Adonis Arms, and Bryson Williams. Or excuse me. Excuse me. I'm Adonis Arms or Sadar Calhoun and then Bryson Williams. So you could essentially play Buzo. For this case, I'll use Calhoun. You could play Booza and, Cal- and Calhoun at the wings. You can play McColler and Warren as your starting backcourt. And you can play Bryson Williams as a five. And tell me why that is the craziest lineup you're going to hear today.
0: I actually don't think it's crazy at all. I think it works really well. And I think when you look around the Big 12 there's a lot of teams that are going to look like that. And I think that that's definitely a lineup that we'll probably even see at some point, whether that's a first five or that's a group of guys that plays 10 or 20 possessions together every night. I definitely think that's fair. Um, I mean, just even just in terms of the general philosophy, right? So we may have like a few guys here and there that, that don't fill those roles, but in terms of philosophy, like you're talking about throwing four wings out there and then a small ball five, yeah, that's that's our dream lineup. We we talk about that all the time on this podcast. And that's because like it works. It works in this conference because a lot of teams want to play that way. So I definitely think that's a good philosophy to have. And then that first lineup, I, I'm I'm total agreement with you. I also was considering the Dalny. I just think there needs to be a little bit of offensive development there. Um you're you're kind of betting a lot in terms of his development this offseason. Uh we just haven't seen him do what Miley Wilson has done on a basketball court. And so I think for me, Wilson just feels like the safer pick. Um, But Nadolny could definitely get there this offseason. And then Davion Warren is is a great, great pick there, especially in terms of what you mentioned for his creation and what he can do off the dribble. Gets to the rim so, so well. And I kind of struggled to get a feel for his shot just because he took – so many shots. He had like one of the highest usage rates in in college basketball last year. Um, So it's tough to get a feel for what his shooting is like. And I just, I went with Calhoun because his shooting is just so good. At least it was um, at JUCO and then in lower volumes at Florida State. So that's kind of where I went there. Uh, But a good lineup, nonetheless. I, I like them both. We won't know until November and I'm sure that we will see at least five or six or seven different lineups throughout the year. There are definitely a lot of options. And so I want to end this off. There was something I wanted to talk to you about, and I actually forgot to put it in our show notes, but I have gotten a handful of questions about this through the week. And it's people asking if there's an update on Kevin Samuel. And like, I I don't know anything that I I don't post to the public. Um, But if there is like, hypothetically, if Texas Tech were to land Kevin Samuel, how how do you balance the lineup with Samuel, Santos Silva, and Williams all on your roster? I have been thinking about this pretty consistently since uh, Tech Lean and Williams. And my brain is kind of jumbled trying to think about how you play three veterans, all guys that are trying to get to the NBA. I think Samuel has one year left after after next year, so he's two years left, I guess. Um, But Williams and Santos Silva are done after this year. I'm trying to think about how you play those three guys big minutes because they're all experienced players who are expecting big minutes. But like Santos Silva and Samuel both played less than 25 minutes per game in conference last year because, like we mentioned, a lot of times teams are going to want to go smaller and, and less than 25 minutes isn't like an extravagantly low number. Like that's 60% of the game. That's a pretty good amount. But Emory, I'm I'm interested to hear your perspective. How do you balance that with, with this potentially Samuel Williams and Santos Silva?
1: Yeah, I think the best approach would be to kind of do what Baylor did this year with full Thamba and JTT. And I mean, you kind of have to play, Samuel and Marcus Santos Silva about 40% of the minutes each and then use the remaining eight to ten minutes with a small ball five a la Bryson Williams. And I think Mark Vidal being the small ball five option for Baylor allowed them to kind of stretch those minutes more. And as well as that, even when JTT and Thamba were on the court, it wasn't necessarily a distinct four versus five defensive role. I think that's a little bit more murky with Kevin Samuel, who really doesn't have the lateral ability that, say, JTT had to be able to compensate and let Vital play in that small ball five role. But I also think Bryson Williams is more kind of geared towards being able to be a wing defender anyways. So, I mean, I think Kevin Samuel would definitely clog up the minutes. It would almost certainly spell an end to KJ Allen or Daniel Boccia being able to get rotation minutes but I mean I do think there's a way you could balance that out it would probably take a few games to get used to that I think you'd have some growing pains with certain nights where you're having to play a traditional five 40 minutes a night and some games where someone like Kevin Samuel is getting four minutes so it's just I mean it would add kind of a headache in terms of setting the rotation but I do think it could be done if you tried to not overplay either guy and left out that kind of distinct stretch for Williams to play the five, also playing a vast majority of his his minutes at the four position.
0: Yeah, I just thought it's been really interesting to think about that because Texas Tech has not had that problem. I mean, even when it was just Owens and Odiasse, we kind of saw a balance of minutes where Odiasse didn't play very much. Um, And now you're talking about three guys that are probably expecting a lot of minutes because again, they're trying to get to that next level. They're veterans. They've proven they can do it, but I just think it's interesting. I I have no idea how that would work. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what Kevin Samuels eventual decision is when he does make that we'll be on here to record episode 24. Um, But we appreciate you all listening, streaming, subscribing, following uh, the brand account on Twitter, following each of us on Twitter individually um, and then sharing the podcast that that'd be a really big help for us if you could if you know any Texas Tech fans that are, that are looking for some content to hold them over through the offseason tell them about No Middle Madness we are glad to produce content for you but another good episode in the books Emory and I have not had any technical difficulties um, to this point we, we are rejoicing over that um, but yeah that's all I've got Emory anything you want to say before we get out of here
1: just want to say congrats to you on becoming verified on Twitter. Nobody more deserving. I will now forward all complaints about this podcast and compliments over to you because you are the verified source and therefore are Twitter famous. So congrats, to my guy. And we're looking forward to episode number 24. Hopefully, it's some good news about Kevin Samuel or some other surprise commitment. Who knows?
0: Yeah, I now have a blue check so you can never tell me that I'm wrong about wanting to play smaller players in the Big 12. But again,
1: this was Ryan Mainville and Emery Lida. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.